Hi guys, it's Misha. Welcome to Tell Them I Am. Today we have a folk tale for you by Bilal Nazim. It takes place in an ancient Uyghur city in Xinjiang, China, a city called Kashgar, with mountains and rivers, cold winter nights, and hot desert summers. It's the 1800s. A young Uyghur Muslim girl named Nuzagam lives in Kashgar. She's elegant and intelligent, so gentle that her name means the delicate one. But Nuzagam doesn't live in a world as gentle as her. Chinese forces are trying to take over Kashgar and the land that belongs to her people. And things start to get dangerous really quickly. The Chinese and these people called the Kalmaks are killing and imprisoning the men, and they are marrying the women forcefully. Nuzugum's brother starts to get worried for his sister. He pleads for her to flee the city. He says, if you don't, they're going to take you against your will. You'll have Kalmak children. You'll lose your faith. She doesn't want to leave her brother alone. But she has no choice. So she runs. She escapes into the wilderness. She's alone and makes her home among the reeds. And there she sings. About a century later, an Uyghur poet named Nurnamit Yasin writes her song into a poem. He calls it The Call of Nuzagum. The floating moon becomes a beautiful girl, telling a story in the blue sky. Oh, the reed bed fiercely burns, and with it the hopes of a whole nation. We are listening to it silently, not only with our ears, but in our hearts. The sand encroaches on the fertile lands, but we are the real sandstorms. In 2005, Nurnamit Yasin, that same poet, publishes another story, The Blue Pigeon. It's about a blue pigeon king who is captured by pigeon kings of a different color. Rather than stay in prison, the blue pigeon king frees himself by taking his own life. After its publication, the Chinese government accused Yasin of inciting separatism with the story and sentenced him to Shia prison. He died there six years later. This episode of Tell Them is dedicated to all of the world's Nuzagums and Blue Pigeon Kings. Past, present, and future. My name is Jawhar Ilham. I am Uyghur. I am the daughter of Ilham Tohti. My father was a professor at Minzu University in Beijing. He was a very popular teacher, and all the students were afraid of him and adored him. He was very, very extremely honest, so honest to the point that he can hurt people's feelings sometimes. Growing up, I knew that that we looked really alike, except my hair length. I looked like copy and pasted as my dad's face. And I, I knew that he has very deep, what is it called? eye bags. He had very dark eye bags because he rarely sleep at night. 
During the day, he would want to hang out with me. So during the nights, he would grade his students' papers and he would write articles until like 3 a.m., 4 a.m. And he would wake up next day in the morning. And I just, it, the dark circles had left a very strong impression in my head because I knew how hardworking he was. But at the same time, he was always trying to be the best dad for me. My my mom wasn't really always there. They were divorced and, you know, he was trying to take both roles the entire time you know he was the one who would act serious and be the provider of the family and then he would be like had the soft and gentle side he saw our neighbors a kid had a really beautiful hairstyle and he got jealous he said my daughter is so beautiful why can't her hair to be this beautiful too and has this style so he took a picture in his brain and he came home and said sit down my child I had very short hair shorter than the other girl and it turned out really terrible it did not look good on me at all but he insisted that I should go to school like that because he wanted to show off in front of people that his daughter's hair can be braided as beautiful as other neighbors kids as well I was embarrassed but also proud at the same time because other kids, only their moms would braid their hair, their dads would not. And I was like, my dad can braid my hair too, even though it's ugly. <laughs> I remember that so clearly. When I was in middle school, I I realized that my father was a little bit distant uh, from me. Um, I knew he got busier. I knew he's always out. And then I knew he was always on his computer typing, 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 typing. He started smoking a lot. I knew he was stressed. And I just thought, oh, my dad just doesn't love me anymore. He just wants to focus whatever it was on his computers. And whenever he took me to shopping, he would look from the mirror, a front mirror of the car. And he would say, oh, there's someone following us. And I would just roll my eyes. Oh, my God, you watch too much movies, like James Bond movies. Like, there's nobody following us. And and he, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. As a stupid teenager at that time, I didn't bother to figure out why he was doing that. I just, I was complaining about the result. I wasn't caring why caused it. I... I believe I was 12 or 13 when my father's quote-unquote activism started. We had guests coming home. Sometimes they even need to share my room. People that I've never met in my life and some of them don't really look presentable and I would still have to share my room with them. And as a teenager girl, I wasn't really happy about that. Um, later on, I knew that it was homeless Uyghur youth that my father rescued from an, a thief organization. My father would offer for them to stay and cook for them. And we were visited by policemen very frequently. They would live with us sometimes. They never say, oh, we're here to monitor you. They don't say stuff like that. They are very polite. We love your Uyghur food. Your Uyghur people are very hospitable. 
ah, can I stay to enjoy more food? They would make it sound like this. But when you're adult, when you think back, you know those are not some very <laughs> innocent visits. And then my father would always suddenly be gone for for weeks. I complained a lot and I was not happy about that. And later on, I learned that he was trying to travel to different places to rescue those Uyghur homeless children. I used to complain to him that you care about strangers more than your family. But that mindset totally changed at the airport 2013, February 2nd. Johar's dad gets an invitation to be a visiting scholar at the University of Indiana. And he insists that she accompany him. It's the middle of the night, the day before their trip, and Johar's dad comes into her room and he shakes her awake. He's like, Johar, come on, we have to go to the airport. And she's like, what? It's eight hours before our flight. What are you talking about? It's three in the morning. But they get in a cab. My dad looked so nervous and he kept trying to look around and see if the police were following us. But... We got to the airport, so I was just like, see, Dad, nobody's following us. See, we got here so smooth. And my father was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was still looking around and trying to see if we were being followed. And then we took the little train from the domestic airline part to the international flight part. And then here comes the last step, passing the border. My dad and I, we went on two separate lanes. And my lane went really fast, but my dad's lane, it just, he was stuck. Usually it just takes 45 seconds or one minute or so to pass. They just need to scan your passport and stamp. But the lady kept scanning and then looking, checking her computer and started calling. Within a minute or two, few policemen with black uh, uniforms, at least four or six of them showed up and said, sir, please follow us. I started freaking out. My heart started jumping so fast. We were taken away together to a small, tiny little room. Only had two stools. We just sat. I can't remember how many hours we sat. But the closer to the departure time, the the more my father got really anxious. And he started saying, "When, when can we leave? We have every legal paper, every legal procedure. We didn't commit any crime. Why aren't we allowed to leave? The man said, just wait. And then it was 30 minutes before my departure time. And the lady who stopped my father at the border place showed up holding my passport. She just opened that page. I see a stamp saying like cancel. But she still asked me, oh, you can go. Do you want to go? Your flight is about to depart. For me, it was one of the most ridiculous sentences I have ever heard in my life. My entire purpose to go to the United States were to accompany my dad. If he wasn't leaving, why am I going? And at that point, I didn't know anybody in the United States. I didn't speak English. What are you going to do to my dad? What is going to happen to him if I leave? And my dad said, Kazim, which means my daughter, Look around you. Look at how this country is treating us. Do you still want to stay here? I didn't care about 
any of these about the countries, about the politics, about this human rights, about my rights being taken away. I didn't care. All I knew was I wanted to stay with my father. I wanted to stay where my family is. And he said, you have the chance to leave Jawhar. Go. I still said no. I was shaking my head. And my dad just literally, he pulled me up and started pushing me. He said, go. Don't cry in front of them. Don't let them think Uyghur girls are weak. That was the last time I saw my dad. Johar's dad was accused of separatism by the Chinese government and is currently serving a life sentence. The last time Johar got any word about her dad was in 2017. Johar, if there's anything that you could say to your dad, what would you say? I have so many things I can talk to him about. Give me days and months, I probably wouldn't be able to finish it. Well, I want to say I'm sorry. Sorry for not trusting you. Sorry for not being able to be there for you. Sorry for not understanding you. Most important thing, I want to tell him, do not give up. I really want him to not give up because I will not give up. Tell Them I Am is presented by Higher Ground Audio and Spotify and produced by Dustlight Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Misha Youssef. The executive producers at Higher Ground Audio are Dan Fearman, Mukta Mohan, and Anna Holmes. Janae Maribel is editorial assistant. From Dustlight Productions, Mary Knopf is our executive producer. Ariana Gharib Lee and Jonathan Shiflett are our producers. Arwen Nix is our editor. Valeria Alarcon is our apprentice. This episode was written by me, Misha Youssef, Mary Knopf, and Arwen Nix, with help from Anna Williams. It was sound designed by Mary Knopf and Anna Williams. Valentino Rivera is our engineer. David Leinard is our composer and made our gorgeous original music. Special thanks to Marley Fearworker Otto, who hummed Nuzugum's song. Emin Ahmed is our illustrator and the creator of our episodic art. Elizabeth Goodspeed made our amazing series tile art. Special thanks to Anna Williams for additional production help and Rachel Garcia, our development and operations coordinator. From Spotify, executive producers are Daniel Eck, Don Ostroff, and Courtney Holt. This podcast was originally a production of LAS Studios. <laughs>